When you download the Kroger app, you have easy access to savings every day. Shop weekly sales and get personalized coupons to get the most value out of every trip, every time, whether you shop in-store or online. Download the Kroger app now to save big. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Must have a digital account to redeem offers. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. And Lori has lied her entire life. I mean, time after time after time, nothing's ever her fault. Narcissist, we could go on for days. But I do understand how so many people, friends in Hawaii, would say she was mom of the year. When in reality, she's like mommy dearest. Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we're all just trying to survive in a rough world. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime, and today is no exception. We are diving right in, headfirst, into the Lori Vallow Daybell story, which I'm sure many of you are aware of or heard about. She is the so-called doomsday mom set to go on trial for murder. Uh, This April, just a few weeks away, it is the almost unbelievable story of an attractive, seemingly loving mother, a devout member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who becomes involved in the deaths of as many as five people, including her very own children. Best guess here to break it all down, a new face to uh, STS, and that uh, is one you should get to know because she'll be a familiar face soon enough. Lori Hellis is an author and a retired criminal defense attorney. She has a blog and is currently writing a book about this very case about Lori Vallow Day Bell. She plans to travel to Boise, Idaho to attend and write about the trials. She says she wants to understand the perfect storm of people and circumstances that culminated in this sad ending. We'll find out more about that. The other face you have seen many times before in STS, it is the great. Gigi McKelvey, host of the popular true crime podcast, Pretty Lies and Alibis. As I mentioned, you know her on here from her coverage of the Alec Murdoch trial. She was there from start to finish for the uh, Law and Crime Network. And I'll be doing a similar thing for the Lori Vallow-Daybell trial for Law and Crime, as well as Pretty Lies and Alibis. And if you didn't know this, because I didn't know this, she's produced something like over 50 podcasts on the Lori Vallow-Daybell story, which you can go back and listen to, and we'll find out from Gigi uh, what got her so fascinated in that, and that is actually how her podcast uh, came to fruition. Uh, Before we get going, a couple quick programming notes. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you can follow us all uh, at Surviving the Survivor. Uh, On Twitter, we are at Podcast STS. Please become a YouTube member, and you can also support us on Patreon and a big show announcement tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, live. We have Dateline's own Dennis Murphy, as in Dateline, the number one true crime show in America. He's on to talk about why they chose Dan Markell uh, to feature that murder story on Dateline. There's another two-hour episode coming up, and he's not the only best guest. He's going to be joined by Dan Markell's mother, Ruth Markell, So a powerhouse show tomorrow night as well. Of course, you can listen to us anywhere you listen 
to your favorite podcast. Now, of course, Lori Valladebel is uh, the Eastern Idaho mom accused of killing her two children. Their names are J.J. Vallow and Tylee Ryan. Uh, she also conspired to kill her husband's previous wife, Tammy Daybell. Uh, she's been in jail, I believe, since early 2020, if that figure is, uh, if that number is right. Uh, the murder trial is expected to last several weeks, beginning April 3rd. Uh, jury selection slated for March 27th and March 28th. Uh, Gigi, let's start with you. And a reminder, you guys both muted yourselves. Um, what are we expecting um, in jury selection? And I know there's um, some issues because right now, as we speak, no cameras are going to be allowed in court. So catch us up to speed on the latest with uh, all of that. Oh, and she just popped right off. So I'm going to have Lori pick that up. If you can, Lori, you just have to unmute. And hopefully, Gigi will be right back on. Sure. Um, hope she'll be right back. <laughs> um, I actually moved to Boise in order to cover the case. So um, I'm going to be there every day. We we know at this point that jury selection, I, my understanding is the plan is for jurors to um, <clears throat> turn in their jury uh there she is. Yeah, sorry. Oh. I, I hopped in my portal real quick. I portaled out of here for a second. <laughs> and you're back. And you're back. We're I'm just back. talking about uh, about how Lori decided to actually move to Boise. And then we're going to get into all the juror information and cover it all. So pick it right up, Lori. Well, my understanding is that jurors who have been given juror questionnaires are going to be turning those in um, the last few days of March. And then jury selection will actually begin on April 3rd. Um, that should take, could take up to a week. We saw in the Murdoch case, it took a lot less than everyone anticipated. Um, but knowing how this case has gone, I expect it's going to take a week. And uh, hopefully we'll start hearing opening statements and witnesses the following week. That would be um, April 10th, I think. So. Um, it, it's interesting that we are not going to have any sort of live stream from the courthouse. The judge in that case has decided that there will be no cameras in the courtroom. And uh, so now we're talking about whether or not we can access the audio uh, recordings that are recorded each day. And obviously that uh, is problematic for people like myself and people in the media. Uh, Alec Murdoch, uh, that trial, of course, was uh, covered uh, on camera, gavel to gavel. Uh, this comment coming in uh, from Carrie Gatto. Hello from Rexburg, Idaho, the oh, epicenter hi, of this case. So Carrie. how are you, Carrie? Uh, and we'll uh, hopefully have you back on for many, many more shows on this. We've got Pirate Girl coming at us from Seattle. And uh, as I mentioned, Dennis Murphy from Dateline will be on tomorrow, and he will, in fact, tell us how great Keith Morrison is, because I will certainly ask him about that. Um, I'm curious to find out. Um, so, Gigi, to you, I mean, you're going to be covering this for long crime, and we find out no cameras in the courtroom, and now there's something that seems uh, a little uh, amiss here, because typically if there are no cameras, you get an audio stream, but what, what's going on with this audio stream and uh, the, the courthouse, they're trying to um, 
impose some sort of fee. Tell us about this. Yeah. So this is, I actually tweeted out about this day because I think it's ridiculous. I mean, they're wanting to charge so much for the first minute and then like 20 or 25 cents per minute. Now, look, I stink at math, but I did it on my iPhone. If you want to listen to the entire trial, it's going to cost you over $6,000 if it goes the length they say. Totally unfair to the taxpayers of that state who have put in so far nearly $4 million from beginning to where we are now. It's going to be upwards of five, maybe six million because now the trials are severed. I think it's unfair for the family members that cannot travel there. I've never heard of anything like this. Now, I know you pay for transcripts. Court reporters work very hard and they are due that money. But a live audio stream, the media is very happy to set that up so they have no hands on it. So I think this is a money grab. I think it's ridiculous. And I, I think that if I were in Idaho, I would be marching in the street saying, where's like the public access? Because who has 6,000 plus laying around to hear some audio? Um. I actually, because I have Gigi on, and not just because she's on, because I follow her every day on Twitter, uh, she tweeted out a biggest pay-per-view in history, question mark, which I thought was hilarious. Does it not seem unfair that the county holding Lara, Lori Vallow's trial is going to charge people over $100 a day to hear the audio of the trial if they can't make it to a remote viewing spot? Now, what about the family? I know they don't all live in Boise. What about the family... Uh, the family's involved here, Lori. Well, the families don't all live uh, in Boise. Uh, most of them live in, all of them live in other places. Um, and it's not just the family of, uh, of the victims. It's also the defendant's families. Um, most of them live in the Rexburg area, which is about a five-hour drive away. <clears throat> and um, there are family members that live in in uh, Louisiana, and it's not going to be practical for them to travel and and be here for what could be potentially a two month trial. So it, it's very unfair to them. At this point, the judge has said the only access will be there will be a, a remote live stream, but not recorded. So it's not going to be something that could be access, uh, accessible later. It's going to be a direct connection from, um, from the Ada County court room where the trial happens to a remote location in Madison County so that the folks in Rexburg can watch, as well as an overflow courtroom in uh, in Ada County Court, but those are the only two places that 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 stream is going to go. It's not going to be preserved, and um, so it's not going to be something that anyone else, including the families of the victims, would be able to access. The courts made no special uh, any kind of accommodation for the media. Uh, at this point, you have to go online every day. Um, probably at 12.01 and make your reservation for the next day's trial. And that's the only way that you have access to get into the courtroom. And what do you, uh, Lori, what do you think is behind all this? I mean, I know you, I'm a media guy. You were a criminal defense attorney. I have not really seen something like this. 
where they're really like basically just snuffing all the access out basically completely. Um, I think they're going to have to relent to some degree because this is such a high profile case. But any idea as to what's going on behind the scenes as to why they're kind of tightening the rope so much? You know, I, I guess I have my own personal opinions, having followed this case from the very beginning, having been involved um, trying to get sealed documents from the court. Um, it, it seems to me like this is a, a, a group of people who are public servants who really do not want the public watching. Um, I, I, in a lot of ways, think that this is a case where none of the, the players or the people who are involved in the case are particularly experienced. Um, none of the prosecutors who are elected, the elected prosecutors, have any uh, experience trying a death penalty case. I'm not sure either one of them has ever even tried a murder case. Um, and, and, and the judge is very new to the bench. He took the bench from the municipal court in in late 2019, and of course everything then shut down for COVID. So he's quite inexperienced. I will say that I feel like he's starting to find his feet a bit with this case, but he's been pretty tentative, and I think that uh, I think that has contributed to the fact that nobody really wants to do this publicly because they're concerned about their own their own personal images. So, uh, and I have a lot of concern about it. I mean, there's a fundamental constitutional right for the public to be able to oversee the operation of their government. And there's nowhere that that's more important than, than in a criminal trial and where you have elected officials that you are overseeing their, their operation. So uh, I think that it's, it, it is a real miscarriage uh, of people's constitutional rights. Well, you know, but, I, but I also read, too, that they're worried about tainting the jury pool. Well, that train left the station like three years ago. Absolutely. There, there's been countless documentaries, countless specials on prime time about this case. We've had two major document dumps in this case that gave a glimpse of some of the things they have on the murder trial. At that point, when the trial's taken place, your jurors have taken an oath. They're not supposed to watch anything about the trial. They're going to sit and listen to this testimony all day long. It's not like they're going to go home and re-listen for eight hours. So I think that argument to me is really ridiculous. And, and Lori, did I hear you right? Did you say that you don't, you're not sure if these prosecutors have ever even covered a, a handled a murder trial? Is that right? I think that's right. I don't believe either one of them has ever tried a murder trial. But they brought in the special prosecutor, Rachel Smith, uh, who is, and then now Lori's attorneys after Mark Means, I do believe they have some death qual they've they've done some death cases. Right. Jim Archibald and John right. Thomas, who are the two Yeah. Uh, John Pryor has not though, Chad's attorney. Correct. The two yeah. court appointed attorneys for Lori Vallow both are very experienced and are death penalty qualified right. state appointed uh public defenders yeah so but they really are the only ones that have that much ex have experience you guys have two amazing experts so fire off your questions and we'll get them uh to Gigi and Lori Mabel Quintanilla friend of the show watching in El Salvador writes 
Hello, Surviving the Survivor, best guest in true crime. I've learned so much via Pretty Lies and Alibis on this case. Thanks, Gigi. Ready to listen. Thank Followed you. by Jeannie Castellano. This doomsday woman has got to pay for her precious children and Charles, even her murderous brother, because we know she had a hand in that one, too. A lot of dead bodies piling up around uh, this case, and we'll get to that um, as we um, unravel all of this. Um, this one here from Tommy. I found out about the case when Lori was still in Hawaii in early 2020. Must be difficult for the families to wait so long for the trial. Sometimes the wheels of justice take a long time. We are covering the Dan Markell case. That murder happened in 2014. Nine years later, the uh, ex-brother-in-law, uh, Charlie Adelson, is set to stand trial. And it just got pushed back about six months. KCL writes, love Lori Hellis, exclamation mark. Thank um, you. <laughs> you know, and the other thing to mention, too, aside from this trial taking forever to get to trial, they have yet to release the kids' bodies for the families to bury these children. They are still being held right now in a facility from the time they found them, which and is insane. Yeah. Um, KCL, just so you don't feel left out. I also love Gigi, KCL writes. But um, a great, I say primer, Steve Cohen, my right-hand man in true crime, says primer. You guys can fight it out amongst yourselves. But if you want a great primer, as he says, on uh, this entire saga, Netflix has a documentary, Sins of Our Mother. Um, it was pretty eye-opening. Um, at the end of that, I was surprised by this. Um, Lori, do we still not know the actual cause of death of both of Lori Vallow's children, or is it known at this time? It has never been released. Um, I, I suspect that it is part of the evidence that we will see at trial, but that information has never been, at this point, hasn't been released. Same for Tammy Daybell. We've heard her kids say what they've been told, but all three causes of death never released. I'm not sure that we'll get a cause of death on Tally, unfortunately, because of the condition of her remains. But then again, these forensic pathologists, like these anthropologists are amazing. Mm -hmm. They can even tell what kind of tools were used to dismember the body. Mm -hmm. But there's been very little about that. Although with poor JJ, it's, it's, you can think in the condition his body was found, maybe how that went down. But, you know, the, the hardest thing for me is I, I love Kay and Larry. They're good people. They are the ones who started the welfare check and saying, hey, we haven't heard from our grandson. What's up? But they're going to have to sit through this not once but twice now and hear the absolute worst moments of their precious grandson's life two times and things that they haven't heard yet. My heart is already just so broken for them. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, be so it's, it's going to be a rough one. Jody Johnston makes a good point here. Idaho has a lot going on. Prayers to the families and people there who have been affected. Obviously, Moscow, Idaho. Um, how far, uh, Lori, is Rexburg, uh, where the bodies were found, from Boise? It's about a five-hour drive. I I've driven back and forth several times for hearings, so. Uh, uh, 250, 300 miles. Yeah. Ania says hello from Poland. Um, Lori, right back to you. Um, so you believe, uh, the actual trial could begin or 
second week of April? Is that a rough estimate? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, it really is going to depend on how long jury selection takes. Um, I expect that we are not going to see the sort of quick jury selection we saw in the Murdoch case. So I think it's probably going to take all of the first week in jury selection and then um, probably get opening statements and start taking some testimony the second week, which would start the 10th of April. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Um, and, and right back to you again, Lori. Um, so you, you talked about these juror questionnaires. Um, from what I'm reading and understanding, uh, religious beliefs are likely to be an area of focus here because of uh, the ties to the uh, uh, Church of Latter-day Saints. Um, can you expand on that? I mean, if you were defending uh, Lori Vallow, what kind of juror you, would you be looking for? Well, you know, I think the issue of the church is a double-edged sword for for them. Um, I've said all along, the church has tried very hard to to distance themselves from the sort of off-topic uh, beliefs that that Chad and Lori were were teaching. So, I I wonder whether they're I hope that they're not looking for jurors who are members of the church because I think that will backfire for them because I think the church is very, people who are members of the mainstream church are very upset that their church is being portrayed this way in ways that aren't particularly accurate because what Chad and Lori were into are things that were offshoots of, of mainstream teaching. So I, I think, you know, the what I always look for in a juror is somebody who's interested, someone who's paying attention, someone who's able to articulate their own feelings about their lives and about um, things that may have happened to them. But I don't know that there's ever any real typical or best defense juror or best prosecution juror. Um, but I do think that they're going to be very cautious about, about the church in general and church membership. One of the biggest problems, I think, in having the trial, the reason we had a change of venue and the biggest problem with having the trial in Rexburg is that the population in Rexburg is about 96% church members. And um, I, I don't know that Lori and Chad could have gotten a fair trial there because I think there were an awful lot of those people in their own community that were very angry with the way that their church had been portrayed. Maureen Guichard writes, I love seeing good Lori. I love that distinction <laughs> on STS followed by best guess in true crime. Ask Lori and Gigi how they expect to get in every day. I heard about the reservation system that includes media. So what are you both going to do? I mean, Lori, you're writing a book, and Gigi, you're covering from long crime. Gigi, you first. What do you do if you don't win that lottery? Well, I don't know yet. I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But, you know, it was kind of the same with Murdoch. We didn't have guaranteed seats the first few days. After, you know, the first few days, it, it will die down. People in Boise have to work. They have kids they have to take care of. People are probably ready for this trial to move on. 
It's been three years that this state has been in the spotlight in somewhat of a negative way based on them. The thing about me is this, and I may be naive. I see them as more of a band of misfits than like church people. This is, this goes so far beyond what LDS teaches. I, I have plenty of friends who are LDS. I respect the religion. You, I don't care if you worship like, you know, a rock, if that's what you're into, do it. But I really do think this is so far away from LDS doctrine. And the other thing too, about an impartial jury, you will be very surprised how many people in that area may know a little bit about this trial, but really hasn't covered or hasn't followed the ins and outs and all the twists and turns. I do think they'll get a fair jury in Boise, but back to this whole media thing, we've got to apply every day to have a spot either in the courtroom or in that overflow room. So I guess I'm going to get like a tin can with a string and see if I can hear inside because otherwise I'm going to be twiddling my thumbs up there. And Lori, you basically, uh, you know, picked up your life and moved there. So uh, any thoughts from you? And I mean, if not, you're going to rely on people, I don't know, live tweeting. I guess that's not even a possibility. So what, 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 what are you going to do? Well, um, I think live tweeting is going to be a possibility. They are allowing phones into the courtroom. They have to be silenced, but they they have not said that they can't transmit from the courtroom, but they cannot transmit sound or photos. Yeah. So, um, but I, I, I'm going to do probably what everybody else is going to do. And that's set my alarm for 1201 and, and get on and refresh until I get a ticket every day. Um, I, I, that's the only thing you can do. Um, but I think that's why the, the recordings are going to be critical to yeah. people who really want to know what's going on in the trial because they've locked it down. So, so effectively. Yeah. And when I'm in there, I'll be live tweeting. By the way, mm -hmm. just a quick thing. I do have the mega series, but this week I'm doing a crash course starting tonight. If you can't listen to all 56 episodes, which by the way, are not complete yet. Um, I will be doing a crash course of just everything you need to know to get ready for April 3rd. So it's not going to be all the background, but it's going to hit the, the important parts. A lot of people from Murdoch stayed and was like, man, I'm kind of addicted to true crime, but this case has so many tentacles. So yeah. if you want a crash course, I'll be doing that all week long. By and the way, pretty lies and alibis, and it yeah. can be found anywhere you listen to the podcast, right, Gigi? Right, exactly. Yeah, just it's going to be five days of just the main points, so that you know who they're talking about and what they're talking about. So you better get on pretty lies and alibis. Meanwhile, Come see me. I love this, Laura, Laura Lynn Lulu. Just subscribed to you. Love that. Uh, already followed Gigi and alibis. Um. And then we got a little special sticker to my favorite guest, Gigi and the good Lori. I love it. The good Lori. Um, so Gigi tomorrow, no Wednesday, I believe there's a case hearing as well set for uh, the bad Lori, I guess. Um, <laughs> what are we expecting in that? She's going to be in court apparently. Uh, you know, I, I, is that a status conference, Miss Hellis? I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's really probably just tying up some loose ends. I don't think it's anything explosive, right? Um, there are some motions that are still outstanding that they're going to be hearing. I I don't know that it's anything very substantial, but I think they are motions that need to be cleared up before the trial starts. 
Yeah. Um, one of them had to do with the uh, the defense asking to take the death penalty off the table uh, for a variety of reasons. And that one, uh, it's certainly not going to go anywhere, but they need to make their record for appeals. So well, I, she's, I think oh, go ahead. Probably I'm sorry. It's, it's the last hearing we're going to see before the trial starts. Right. Because she is due in Boise no later than March 25th. Mm-hmm. So this is probably it, you know, as far as that goes, but it's going to be wild. I mean, I don't think we're prepared to hear exactly what happened to these kids. What's been put out in those document dumps, dumps has been horrifying enough. The mm-hmm. lead up to Charles's murder, just um, which she is facing conspiracy to commit first degree murder charges in Arizona for his murder, which her right. brother did and got away with really because he died before he could be indicted. So she's got a lot on her plate. She's going to be into pokey forever. So she may as well get used to it. Well, what a, what an insane case. I want Gigi in a little bit. I want to kind of do a compare and contrast with this and Alec Murdoch because so many bodies are uh, piled yeah. up around both cases, but real quick here, KCL writes, this trial is fascinating. Lori said her children became zombies and they needed to die. And that was after she murdered her husband via her brother. So, Lori, to you, I mean, you're like the real, uh, you know, person who's kind of given it all up to study this um, quite dramatically. How did uh, they, she get so far off the rails from kind of the traditional uh, church, you know, um, into this whole world of zombies and, and uh, apocalyptic thoughts? Well, that's a great question, and I, I, it, it's a really complex one. Um, in many ways, she was already very interested in these unusual LDS doctrines. And the LDS Church is a very different organization now than it was historically, say, 75 years ago, 100 years ago. And, and so there are teachings within the LDS church that the mainstream church has, has abandoned that, um, that, that people often say, oh, the church has gone astray and we need to get back to our roots. And when they do that, they go back to some of these really unusual teachings, not just polygamy, but things like blood atonement, which is that um, salvation can only come from, uh, there are some crimes that the only way to get forgiveness is, is through spilling your blood on the ground. Um, I, I mean, there are a lot of uh, uh, the idea that, that um, there are multiple mortal probations, meaning a form of reincarnation. Um, some of those things were expressed in the early church. The mainstream church has has sort of disassociated themselves from those beliefs. But oftentimes what we have are people like Chad Daybell and some of his associates who are saying the church has gone away from its core teachings and needs to get back to the fundamentals. And that means undertaking some of those less than acceptable kinds of teachings. So and you couple that with people who have been raised all their lives in the church and who feel like they're hearing the same things over and over again. They start asking 
looking for deeper meaning in things. And, and I think that's where they started accepting some of the teachings that were coming out about the LDS church is very much steeped in the, in the tradition that the end of days is coming and, and that we should be preparing for that. And um, so a lot of these folks started um, getting involved with people who had had, were prophesying because they'd had near death experiences that had, um, had caused them to have visions about the, the end times. And um, once they started down that road, then Chad Daybell, who already was interested in those things, and Lori Vallow, who was interested in those things, met in what most people think of as kind of a perfect storm. Yeah. Um, she's has some, we know, has some mental illness, um, not mental illness that causes her not to be competent or causes her not to be accountable for her actions, but we know that she has some potentially some delusional kinds of, of behaviors. And Chad sort of fed into that. Uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not every day that someone tells you you're a goddess. Look, I'm going to say they should have just been like Stevie Nicks and kept their visions to themselves. But according (laughs) to, according to Charles Vallow on a body cam, when all this started unraveling, he said that she became obsessed with her new religious beliefs around 2015 to 2016. Then early 2016 into 17, that's when her and her brother, Alex Cox really started listening to these podcasts by like Julie Rowe, Melanie Gibb, which just fueled it. It just threw gasoline on this, this little smoldering fire that was ready to take off. And then they just almost got indoctrinated into this offshoot of. But the the people podcasting, as you see that in Sins of Our Mother, um, they were also members of the church, but an offshoot. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and do we know, are those podcasts still being produced? Do we know, Lori? Most of them are not still being produced. Um, There are many of them that you can still find out there and, and, and access them. As far as I know, there aren't a lot of them that are being produced or they're being produced sort of under the radar. There are a couple of organizations. One of them is called Avow, Another Voice of Warning. It is a, a membership organization. And so they're behind a paywall. And I, I think a lot of that, those podcasts are being produced, but they're, they're being um, hidden behind a paywall where they're not publicly accessible, but they're accessible to like-minded people. Look, I, I, I bit the bullet and paid. Yeah. And then I, like after two hours, I just revoked my membership because it was, <laughs> it was odd stuff, y'all. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. A lot of people actually defending Lori and Chad when the kids were missing in that forum, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, Debbie Biggs writes, love both Gigi and Lori. I followed Gigi since the very beginning and found Lori when she was on Hidden True Crime Podcast. You go, ladies. Debbie, you're great. Thank you. She's been such a solid supporter of my podcast. Thank you. Love that. Jessica K writes, Joel, you need to thank Gigi. I do that nine times a day. (laughs) It's because of following her that I found STS. Hi, Gigi. We're glad you Hey to everybody, Jessica and everybody who said hey over here. I love all y'all. Yeah. And then we go to Julie Fru. We're relying on Gigi to report as uh, yet read her tweet earlier. So much for freedom of information. The name of that judge, by the way, is Judge Stephen Boyce. And I hope he uh, feels some of the pressure and, uh, you know, eases some of these restrictions right on cue. Carrie uh, Gatto from Rexburg writes, this judge is a piece of work. Uh, Back to this death penalty issue, and then we'll dive into, you know, some of the um, quote unquote color uh, of the case um, afterwards, but this death penalty issue. So the most recent documents followed by Valaday Bell's defense show efforts to take the death penalty off the table and exclude nearly 5,000 pages of evidence, 48 audio files. The defense says they simply will not and cannot review all the material prior to a uh, jury trial selection starting in Boise, March 27, 2023. But Lori, um, is it safe to assume as of right now, this is still a death penalty case? That's what's being pursued? Yes. And and I don't anticipate that Judge Stephen Boyce is going to take the death penalty off the table for any reason. I think that uh, Lori's attorneys and and Chad Daybell's attorneys are simply filing these motions to set them up, to tee them up for the appellate court. So mm-hmm. I, I I don't have any confidence that Judge Boyce is going to take the death penalty off the table. You know, and here's the other interesting thing. As of right now, she doesn't plan to use mental illness as a defense, which That's is going right. to be a huge blow to the mitigation in this case later, should she be found guilty and death be on the table. I mean, she's tying one hand behind her back. And if you read the tea leaves with Archibald, he wishes she would have waived her right to a speedy trial to give him more time. And you can tell he doesn't necessarily agree with the fact that she does not want to use the mental illness because he said the court and the counsel knows what she's been diagnosed with. Clearly she has some, but then again, I always say if she was truly that far gone when she's sitting in the police station after her brother murders Charles Vallow, she would have said, Hey, look, we didn't kill Charles. We killed Iplos. We killed a demon. That's crazy. That's not somebody who gives an excuse of where's JJ when they come knocking. What happened with Charles? So I think that, you know, she knew what she was. I agree. You said that earlier and I wanted to chime in. But, you know, um, there's a difference between being delusional with religious delusions, which I do think she had following those text messages just between her and her brother where there was no need to lie about this belief system. Dude, they, I'm, but here's my thing. How do you convince people? I can talk to the other side. It's like, wow, I'm going to follow you. People are crazy. <laughs> I think there's someone that'll follow just about anything out there. That's what's... Uh, I'm going to start a cult. <laughs> Might not it's going to be, be a rock and roll cult, though. <laughs> Gigi, everyone can follow. Everyone would follow you, Gigi. Uh, <laughs> Tina says, hello from Germany, followed here by uh, Venus Gal. Since when are courts supposed to profit from coverage of a crime? Lori, is that what's going on here? And real quick, before you answer that, I uh, just want to give a shout out to East Idaho News. KCL says they're going to be providing audio from the trial. 
they have really been the leaders, uh, East Idaho News, in getting information out. So shout out uh, to them. But again, uh, back to this question. Since when are courts supposed to profit from coverage of a crime? Is that what's going on here, do you think? Well, they're not. And and I can't uh, I, I can't honestly say that it's reasonable and and legal according to Idaho law for the courts to charge a nominal fee to cover the cost of their clerk having to duplicate records or create recordings all of those sorts of things but $125 a day appears to be pretty excessive um and i it seems to me that 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 goes beyond what it would take to facilitate getting the records, getting the recordings. So, I mean, I can only jump to the conclusion that somehow the, the, the Ada County thinks of this as a revenue source. I think the other thing is that putting it, again, putting it behind sort of a paywall means less people are going to be requesting it and and it's going to be less work for their staff. So I think part of it was it, to use it as a deterrent. Hmm. Still not still not a good idea in my opinion. No, but back okay. to this yeah, back to uh the state and, and defense battling over the uh issue of being mentally ill. Uh Lori Vallow's defense team wrote in a motion the government wanting to kill a mentally ill person is a troubling thought going on, even if the government's new opinion of the defendant has some believers that the defendant is just evil. We don't kill witches anymore in America. Um, obviously, Gigi, uh, the defense team trying to use a powerful language to say, hey, don't kill our client if she's found guilty and sentenced to death. Yeah, but she's got to agree to let it in that she's mentally ill. And right now it seems like she's like, nope, not only does she say she's not mentally ill or doesn't want that in, she thinks she's going to be acquitted, which goes back to the fact that this lady's, you know, got something going on. I'm not naive enough to just say there is an evil side to her, but there is a sick side to her, but that doesn't excuse culpability. But, you know, if you read the tea leaves, Archibald is struggling right now. I think to try and keep this to where this case doesn't get thrown out for ineffective counsel or, or that's an appeal issue, he's doing what she asks. But at the same time, she's making his job a million times harder because I don't think that it would be hard to convince a jury there is something, there is a disconnect there. But I don't know that it's so much of a disconnect that, We've seen these text messages. I mean, she's delusional, but she's also actively talking about what she's going to do with Charles and I'm going to get him over here. And so it's a fine line, but I think she's tying both hands behind her back and unfortunately tying the hands of her attorneys behind their backs as well. They're going to be very limited, I think, at this point with no mental illness coming in. And not that I care because I think, you know, from everything I've read, I think that she's definitely culpable and had a hand in this. And God knows what we're going to find out when the real evidence comes in about whose hair was found at that crime scene. What DNA do we have? That kind of thing. So I, I think it's a huge mistake, but let her make it. Hmm. Uh, the state uh, basically argued that maybe the defendant was not mentally ill, but just evil. 
Uh, and that's how that witch's comment came back from the defense. But um, Lori, to you, you're the attorney here and a former criminal defense attorney. Um, how do you discern the line between uh, mentally ill and just plain evil um, for the lay people like us? Well, I think that I, I think that starts to dip into maybe a philosophical or a little more theological kind of question than it is one for a psychologist or or a lawyer who's defending a, a client. Um, I I I always hesitate to jump to the conclusion that someone is just evil um, because I think that. Uh, we've seen that Lori had at one point in her life a tremendous ability to be kind and generous and a loving mother. And uh, so we know that, that there was at some point there was a disconnect in her personality. We don't know where that came from. I think the, I think the more maybe accurate question is, when does a re religious belief become religious delusion? And I think that is going to be, uh, that will be an issue in the trial. The state has already said, we don't want them to bring up her mental health if we say she has religious delusions. We don't want to open the door for her then to bring in all these excuses for her mental illness because she said she's not going to raise that as a defense. Now, the, the, the defense has been quick to point out that although she does not want to raise it during the um, guilt and innocence phase, they do intend to raise it in the penalty phase. Oh, to, okay. Thank you for that. I didn't to mitigate that. Uh, the death penalty. So I think that's a bigger question. Where where does the where's the line between mm -hmm. someone who is a fervent religious believer and someone who is experiencing religious delusions? And mm -hmm. you know, I think where that line is depends on which side of the the courtroom you're in. Yeah. You know, and I think too. You know, and I've caught a lot of flack for this. In, in the past on my podcast, when you say Lori was a good mother, you know, people have two different sides. Look at Alec Murdoch, for example. Sure. I mean, on the surface, he was a great guy and everybody loved him. And so to people that knew Lori for years and years on the surface, she was mm -hmm. a great mom. But you go through and on the mega series I did, you go through the hundreds of pages of documents in the custody battle with Joe Ryan alone, what she right. subjected Tylee to yeah. just to get Tylee away from that man with no proof. He was a danger to her. Mm -hmm. It is appalling. So it goes to show you, she was a chameleon. She could hide and show people like Kay and Larry, Hey, I'm a great mom, which is why Kay and Larry had no problem with Charles and Lori adopting JJ right. because on the surface, Colby's a grown man, seems well-adjusted on the surface. Tylee seems fine on the surface. And in, in reality, people can just hide how they really are. And I always feel so bad for Kay and Larry because I've seen some very nasty comments directed towards them. But you know what? We've all met people we thought were one way and you find out they were different. And it's not your fault. People are just that good of liars. And Lori has lied her entire life. I mean, time after time after time, nothing's ever her fault. 
narcissist. We could go on for days, but I do understand how so many people, friends in Hawaii would say she was mom of the year when in reality, she's like mommy dearest. Mm, great, great line right there. Um, I love this program from Myrna B. It is never boring. And I learned so much, uh, which is exactly how I'm feeling tonight. Learning from these women. Uh, Ania writes, we need judge Newman in this trial ASAP Clifton Newman. Um, that of course is the judge from the, uh, Alec Murdoch trial. Um, Gigi to you, how do you compare, uh, the Alec Murdoch story to the Lori Vallow Daybell story? Uh, what are some similarities and what are some differences? Not to put you on the spot, but I just did. No, it's okay. Um, I think the similarities are that there are multiple victims that were so negatively affected. Some in Lori's case with their own life, other people are going to spend a lot of time in prison for being deceived by Alec Murdoch. There's two bodies we know associated with him. Gloria Satterfield, Stephen Smith, they're still investigating those. I think we're going to hear more and more and more about Alec as time goes on. But I think that the similarities between them is they thought they were smart enough to get away with it from day one. They thought they could fool everybody into thinking, I'm great, but in the background, I'm you know, I'm evil. So I think that's a big similarity and just the years of deception. And then when people really find out who they are, it's like, wow, no clue whatsoever. I know people that knew the Murdochs who said never would have thought Alec Murdoch would have ever been capable of not only stealing from people who were very vulnerable and poverty stricken in most cases, but killing his wife and son. Same for Lori. As this trial for three years, I've gotten to know people that knew her no clue. I think that's your biggest similarity is the narcissistic person is going to be able to fool people time and time again for decades. And I think that's the biggest similarity. And then, you know, whether or not there's foul play with Gloria Satterfield, although I know Tony Satterfield, her son does not believe there's foul play, but has said he would like his mom exhumed just to be sure. Stephen Smith, we we've heard rumblings about how that's going as far as that investigation, but you know, let's see what happens down the road. Let's see how many bodies. I mean, I think it's very, very odd that 30 minutes after Alec visits Hakeem uh, Pickney in the nursing home, he dies because his ventilator is unplugged. I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I had not heard that actually. Oh yeah. Yeah, unplugged. This poor man, his yeah. mom. I mean, it's just like, you know, and then you look at, I think, too, the similarities between Vallow and, and Murdoch. You look at the wide net of effect their crimes had, not just on family, friends of Paul's, friends of Maggie's, people that went to school with both of them, all their, you know, and then their families that are dealing with the fallout on Murdoch's side of the financial burdens. And, you know, so I think that that is a big similarity, too, in that the number of living victims in both of these cases are astronomical. Good point about the living victims. Very good point. Um, I'm going to toss this one right back to you, Gigi, because there's a question specifically for Lori that I'll get to afterwards. But uh, Jen writes, the power of the LDS church is huge in Idaho. I believe the LDS leaders don't want Lori and Chad's religious influences exposed. Anything to this, Gigi? Um, some would say, ah, they're just being dramatic, but, um, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. 
Look, this has not been the best PR campaign for the last three years for the LDS church, but it also does not represent the LDS church. So I think what I think the biggest thing the prosecutor could do is separate that in his openings and say, this is not the LDS faith. This is a band of misfits that believe they could call earthquakes and portal to places and things like that. None of that's in those books. You know, so you have to point out how different their beliefs compared to traditional LDS faith is and go from there. I just don't feel for me, I'm not somebody who feels like this is some LDS conspiracy. But, you know, I think that if if somebody who's a Southern Baptist does something like this, every Southern Baptist is going to be looked at twice. It's just the name of the game. You know, it's 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 just that association. So, you know, I don't know that the LDS church necessarily is excited that this case, that this trial is going to happen, but it is what it is. But to me, it's not LDS. Whether or not behind the scenes there's things going on to make things a little quieter, I can't speak to. But this, this is a bunch of morons that believe some really stupid stuff. I mean, I try not to be rude, but, you know, you got Zulema said, I'm going to call up an earthquake. You know, I mean, come on. Lori, what? Can you pinpoint uh, where in her life, uh, you may have mentioned it a little bit earlier, but where in uh, the timeline of her life did she sort of just fall off the rails here with these beliefs, you know, uh, these extremist beliefs? Do you you know when it happened? Well, we've heard everything from 2012 to 2015. But somewhere in that range, uh, I mean, there was a point, Colby talks about it in the Netflix documentary, when his mom was talking about how she didn't want to go back to California or back to uh, Arizona to allow Tylee's dad, to Joe Ryan, to see her. And um, that she was contemplating crashing her car off a cliff before she would take Tylee to see her dad. And so we see like glimpses of this sort of doomsday, I could end it all now and we'd all be in the celestial kingdom together kind of mentality, kind of kind of lifting its head around 2012-ish. Um, but we know that by 2015, she was firmly ensconced in listening to podcasts, reading Chad's books, reading uh, other authors' books having to do with near-death experiences and predictions of the end times. So by then, she was pretty firmly into it. You know, one thing I think, too, for Chad is if you look back, you've got pictures of him in some random person's living room. He's wearing a pair of, like, khakis pulled up to you know, midway up right. wearing the, the, the plaid shirt tucked in and then, you know, say what you want. Lori is, is, is an attractive or was an attractive woman before that Botox wear off in prison. Right. Cause they don't have the Botox <laughs> clinic down the hall. But I mean, the thing is, I think that she did something to him, something he's never experienced, especially sexually. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, people say, I think Chad was the fire. I think Lori was the fire. I think that she fueled him. It was a perfect storm. They fueled each other. 
But then you got Chad in Hawaii with like, you know, a fade haircut. He's wearing like jeans you would see on a 20 year old at a bar. And he does the whole glam up for her, I'm sure. And so for me, that speaks volumes because Lori is a very persuasive person. She fooled the courts for years in the custody battle with Tylee. Mm -hmm. She absolutely pulled the wool over a lot of people's eyes. I spent hours talking to Tom Ware, who was uh, Tylee's guardian ad litem during that whole custody battle. And he just could not believe the things she got away with. And if you look too in the jailhouse um, surveillance with Tylee and Melanie Gibb, I mean, she totally charms the cops. She's like, he's like, I don't think you're a danger. I don't think you need a mental health evaluation. And she's like, eh, I need to, you know, I mean, so she has a certain charm about her where she can fool people. But I do think, you know, and, and April Raymond, her friend in, in Hawaii, said that Lori told her or, that Charles was not her spiritual equal and that she mm -hmm. craved having a partner who was an equal. And I think that she found that with Chad, who, by the way, made $2,000 a year on his books. Mm -hmm. Let's just put right. that out there. <laughs> right. That's, uh, I was actually wondering I, that. I'm glad you told me. I spent um, that much on school clothes for my kids this year, y'all. Yeah. And by the way, um, that's an interesting point. I mean, he very well uh, may have been more heavily under her spell than the other way around. Um, and maybe when we see all this evidence, finally, uh, we'll learn that. Um, Pearl's kid writes, Joel, ask Lori about her one-on-one -on -one with Judge Boyce. Lori is the best. Can you tell us about that, Lori? Well, a few months ago, I filed some motions with the court um, asking the judge to, pointing out to the judge that he had not followed the proper procedure in sealing a bunch of documents and um, and asking that the documents be unsealed. And so that required that I go to a hearing and that I I present my motions. So um, I did appear in front of him, was the first time I'd appeared in court in about three years. And um, I, he, he was fairly dismissive. He didn't like the fact that I had pointed out that he um, had had sealed some things improperly. Um, it didn't mean that we got the documents. It meant that he went back and did them right so that we didn't get them. Um, I'm very interested because they can't be sealed uh, permanently. So I'm very interested in getting those documents. There have, has been some discussion about perhaps some early um, statements that were made on social media, early social media involvement by both the prosecution and and law enforcement because they had sort of a county Facebook group. And um, so a number of them were commenting on the evidence prior to anyone being arrested in social media. And a number of pretty inappropriate things happened. Um, it, but the judge has then gone the extra mile to seal it so that nobody's embarrassed by it. Um, so that, that was my attempt to get those documents. We haven't gotten them yet, but I will. Bold, a, uh, a bulldog attorney here. I love it. Um, <laughs> Venus gal writes, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Venus gal writes, I'd like to know from Lori, 
if we already have a problem regarding appeal and that Lori Daybell did not get her speedy trial? Is there already an issue at play before you answer that? We've got a super sticker from Michelle. Thank you so much, Michelle. That's awesome. Thank but what you, about Michelle. this problem? She rocks. Yeah. She's great. <laughs> Michelle is one of my mods for my YouTube channel. Mine too. Uh, and yeah. she's helped me with my discord. She's awesome. Michelle, she happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, I think um, it will be interesting to see the, the problem is there's somewhat of a conflict between the federal law and uh, Idaho law. Now, Idaho law says that you have to bring someone to trial within six months and um, I uh, thank you, Kathy Castro. <laughs> um, <laughs> Idaho uh, says you have to bring someone uh, to trial within six months and that there are some limited exceptions for good cause. So, for example, what Judge Boyce said was good cause was the fact that there was about six weeks of delay because of of. Uh, her attorneys asking for an, a new evaluation of her mental health. So that meant that the trial that originally was scheduled for uh, January had to be set out till April. The other piece of good cause is the fact that they've changed venue. And so they have to be accommodated by uh, Ada County. And that's a much bigger jurisdiction and much more complicated to get a high profile case scheduled there. So the judge found that there was good cause. Now, what the federal Supreme Court says is, is anything in excess of a year is sort of questionable. But then you have to ask when that clock starts to run, because Lori Vallow has actually been in jail almost three years um, it, because there were placeholder kind of charges, initial charges that were brought to hold her in jail and then they were dismissed once the murder charges were filed. So I, I think it, it it's potentially going to be an appellate issue. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be an appellate issue. That's why her attorneys have already filed their challenges to the speedy trial issue. Whether the court is going to find that her speedy trial rights were violated, that's, I don't know. Um, if If we're strictly talking about Idaho law, I think, um, I, I think he's kind of right under the wire. So I think the Idaho Supreme Court will probably find that he was uh, Judge Boyce was correct in saying that there was good cause to go beyond the the six month time frame. If it goes on on an on a federal appeal, what? It's unlikely that the U.S. Supreme Court would grant cert on that kind of a, an issue. So it's unlikely that they would take it up. If they did, I, I can't say for sure what their finding would be. You know, and the other thing to think about, too, is she was incompetent and in a mental hospital for, what, mm -hmm. 10 months? Yeah. That was, right. before, you know, but still that came on the day that they were reading the indictments to them. They stopped the proceedings for her. Chad went on. And right. so that was beyond the court's control. And that was something that Judge Boyce mentioned. And how, how did she end up in a mental hospital? How did, how did that happen? So her attorney at the time um, filed an affidavit with the court saying that he believed his client wasn't competent to aid and assist in her defense. Mm -hmm. The judge then, according to Idaho statute, that triggered the judge being required to have her evaluated. 
So she was evaluated and the evaluator came back and said, indeed, she is not competent. So the judge um, stayed her case and committed her. So she was committed to the state mental hospital for 10 months. The thing about that is that she actually wasn't indicted because right, yeah. until she was released. So mm-hmm. her speedy trial um, clock didn't start to run until she was indicted last April. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So back to Kathy Castro's comment here. You gave her a shout out. Best guess ever. Justice for JJ and Tylee. Gigi and good Lori, the attorney, follow her YouTube channel. You better be following her YouTube channel, Children of Darkness and Light. Is that correct, Lori? That That's right. That's the name of my book. And so. also, she has a great uh, newsletter where when things happen, you can go and she breaks it down for you in layman terms because I'm not a lawyer. I always look at things like I'm a juror. And so I, I refer to Lori's newsletter a lot when I don't understand something. It's wonderful. So she's, you know, go follow that if, if, if you haven't already too. And I signed up for that the minute I knew that I could the other day. Right. Yeah. Um, That's at the story dot com. everyone. LoriVallowStory.com. Yeah. The yep. yep. Uh When We For You writes... Do we have a ruling on whether the new DNA info will be part of Lori's trial? Do you think it is hair from duct tape on JJ, good Lori? We know that it is hair that was found on the duct tape that was recovered from JJ's body. We know that duct tape is notorious for producing evidence because it's sticky and and everything gets gets wound up in it. Um, it was a very small sample, which re- leads me to believe it was body hair rather than hair from your head. Um, we know that it was sent to a private lab, that the private lab has sent back some preliminary results. The judge, the reason the judge decided to sever the two trials was because he determined that Chad Daybell's attorney had the right to have that information um, vetted with their own professionals. So that was the reason why Chad's, the cases were severed and Chad's trial was vacated. Um, One of the the, uh, motions that is pending for the 15th is a motion to exclude, it's a motion in limine to exclude all of that recently turned over discovery, including that new DNA evidence. So I've said all along that I thought the prosecution was pretty sloppy about the way that they were turning over discovery. They've said, I don't know, at every hearing, the discovery in this case is voluminous. And there's no doubt it is. These are both very small prosecuting prosecutor offices. I, I mean, Lindsay Blake has one attorney who works with her, and I think there are four in the in in the Rexburg office in Madison County. So there's two counties involved because uh, Chad Daybell lived right across, literally like a hundred yards across the county line into Fremont County, and so Fremont County, where the children's bodies were found and where Tammy Daybell died became the county that had jurisdiction. But 
Rexburg is in Madison County, and the Madison County DA had been deeply involved in the case from the beginning. He's been appointed as a special prosecutor, so he can practice in both counties. So um, I, I think from the beginning, they knew that there was this voluminous amount of, of discovery, and yet they went out and hired an uh a death penalty lawyer expert, they should have hired a discovery clerk, somebody whose only job was to make sure that all of that information was collected and, and provided to the defense. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for the fact that they didn't get everything together. The judge doesn't appear to have had a lot of sympathy with that either. So at this point, I would expect that Judge Boyce is going to exclude all that newly discovered evidence that was turned over within the last month, including the newly discovered DNA. And uh, Gigi mentioned this off the top, and uh, it's coming back with some questions following it. Why would they hold the children for so long uh, before they are laid to rest? Do we have an answer to that, either Gigi or Lori Gigi? Yeah, I think it's uh, just in the event that that either side wanted to do their own independent forensic exam on the bodies. But look, Chad has got to be out of money. He signed over the deed to his house to John Pryor. He's not making anything else. So to me, Lori's indigent. You got Chad who probably is, but you got Pryor just saying, I'm going to see this through to the end. Let the kids go. Who's going to do another autopsy on these kids? Nobody. So it's just these poor kids are being held hostage. And I think that physically and emotionally it is killing these grandparents. I mean, it, they are devastated. I mean, can you imagine knowing that your grandchild is in a freezer and has been for three years? You just want him at rest. So hopefully once Lori's trial gets started, they'll let it go. But now with Chad's delay, are they going to say, well, we're going to wait and make sure for the however many could be a year before Chad's trial comes up. They say at least the end of the year, they need to let these kids go. Say, look, if you're going to do it, you got like two months to get it done or we're going to release these children to be buried. So that's it. Don't get me started on that because we, we'll go for another hour. <laughs> quick, quick, quick uh, reminder here. We're going to have Datelines, Dennis Murphy on with Ruth Markell, the mother of Dan Markell about why they chose to feature the Dan Markell murder case. That's tomorrow night, live, 7 p.m. Eastern time. That is uh, Dennis Murphy of Dateline fame. Uh, Rhiannon says, Alex had nothing to gain from the deaths of these people. Chad and Lori got cash and zero responsibilities, followed by this comment from Ann Vroom. How do you all think the state is going to deal with Lori's probable claim that her deceased nutcase brother, Alex, committed the crimes without her knowledge? Uh, Lori, to you. Um, well, I think the without her. Yeah, I think the without her knowledge piece is is going to be very difficult for them to prove. There is a there is so much electronic evidence You're right we, we've seen a fraction of the text mm -hmm. messages and it's also it's already clear from those that she knew there was something going on and that Alec, Alex was um, responsible and remember that in both Arizona and in Idaho not only are they charged with murder but they're also charged with conspiracy to commit murder Right. And so the conspiracy piece is going to be 
difficult for the defense to negate. Right. Because you don't have to physically kill anybody, but it's the same charge essentially with the same penalty. And, exactly. and you know, if you remember, I think it was the night JJ was murdered. There was that text exchange between Lori and Alex where she's like, do you have eggs? Which is kind of the slang term for like Xanax or things like that. There were some questionable texts back and forth right around the time we think JJ was murdered. And right. that's just what's been released. So what we don't know, I think going to sink the ship's. They'll go off into the pits of jail and prison and, you know, and then we'll see them every now and then they pop up, pop up on a documentary. But it's time to get this baby, the justice bus. I call the pretty lies, the justice bus. We're rolling into Boise and we're going to see this through. That's right. And we're going to get some verdicts and then, you know, maybe a little piece for the family. And then they got to do round two all over again. Same witnesses, right. same evidence, maybe a little different when it comes to the actual murder of Tammy Daybell because they alleged that Chad murdered her. Lori's charged with conspiracy, but it's going to be double torture for the family, double cost, everything. But I do understand why Judge Boyce had to sever. I really do. I don't, I, I think that was the right call for a lot of reasons, as tough as it is. Yeah, that it does make sense to me. And yeah. I'm uh, nobody, but from a layperson's perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Jennifer Carter uh, writes, hello from Arkansas. I found Gigi during the Murdoch trial and we'll be going back to listen to her podcast on Lori Vallow. You better be ready to listen to all 56. <laughs> I'm disappointed that there won't be video streaming of the Vallow trial. And then to this question here, I don't think any of us can answer it from Marsha Kelly. How does a person get so brainwashed I don't understand how that could happen, but we have some people. Uh, we're going to have a, at least one therapist on the show Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time to talk about this. And we'll definitely do a show where we get uh, people who specialize in cult and cult uh, behavior, beliefs, uh, to get them on the show here to talk about how someone uh, can fall into this trap. Darren Reed, and I agree, Gigi is cool, uh, yeah. spelled with a K. Thank you. I appreciate that. I try to be different. I'm not normal, y'all. <laughs> I'm very different, and I take pride in that. So thank you very much. And then uh, this question. I ask this question every day. What day is it again? I don't know. Um, and this question. Is Gigi on YouTube? If so, what is her YouTube name? Gigi? Pretty Lies and Alibis. Pretty Lies and Alibis on YouTube as well. Um to this question, did Chad's children support Lori? Are they expected to testify in her case? Uh, Lori, good Lori? Um, as uh, the best we can tell, they do not. Um, you know, Chad had five children, so I'm, I'm sure that they all have slightly different opinions. But uh, our understanding is that they were pretty appalled when um, he married Lori 17 days after 12 days after their mother had died. Um, and, and I think that they have been um, not overly supportive. They understood that he was having at least in their mind an emotional affair uh, with Lori prior to Tammy's death. Um, but I, I think you have to remember that these are young adults who were raised by Chad Daybell. And right. Chad had a, a lot of, uh, there were a lot of, uh, he had a lot of influence. I'm trying to say this delicately. He had a lot of influence over them. He, um, 
they were fairly sheltered in their upbringing. And um, they really were taught from the beginning that he was the patriarch, that he had the priesthood, and he was to be obeyed and believed at all costs. Yeah. I do so, sympathize with those kids, but if they think it was an emotional affair, affair after they read Loinfire, there's no hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rhonda Gaines writes, hi guys, question. Do you think Lori still believes, that's bad Lori, still believes in Chad? Do you think she still feels righteous? Uh, good Lori. What are your Absolutely. thoughts? Absolutely. She thinks she's going to be exonerated. She still believes that Chad is a prophet. She believes that he is uh, he is going to uh, usher in the the end times, and that I, I think she really believes that this is a trial, that a, a, a biblical trial, a persecution that God, that, that God will deliver her from. And uh, I, I mean, I think that there is at least some belief on her part that, um, like in the new Testament, the, the, and the apostle Paul, the, the earthquake is going to happen and the prison walls are going to come down and she's going to walk out of prison. I, I mean, I, I do believe that. And I think, um, she still firmly believes that. I think Alec Murdoch believed that too, and he's serving two consecutive life sentences. So you can think whatever you want. Uh, sometimes right. reality is not what follows. Kathy Castro, please, good Lori Hellas, can you file a motion to the court about the excessive fees for accessing audio of the trial? Is that even a possibility, Lori? Well, it is a possibility. I know that there are several news organizations that are already right on top of that. And so I, I would expect that there's going to be some discussion. Uh, but it's it's certainly possible that, uh, that I or somebody else in the media could be filing uh, motions. That there have been media attorneys here in Idaho that have filed motions on, uh, on, in the Vallow case. Uh, to try and obtain access. But the unfortunate part about it is that under Idaho law, the trial judge has the final say and there is no higher authority to appeal to. So, Texacana Kirk writes, I don't think the seating will be equitable in my honest opinion. Judge Boyce has it out for the good Lori. If she's not there on the regular... The fix is in. Girlfriend, uh, I'm going to hide you under my big shawl that I'm going to wear, oh, okay? We just, I, I, or I'll I, like get on your shoulders. Okay. And I'll be like, you guys never knew how tall I was, right? No, Gigi is a tall Like girl. on the little rascals when they go to try to get right? a loan and they, yeah, that's going to be me and you. Have, you. have you two met in person yet? Have the two of oh, you? Oh, we met? have, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, Vegas. Yeah. Uh, we, we were all at CrimeCon together. Yes. Yeah, she, oh, I She's love very her. sweet. You know, I don't think that um, I don't think that Judge Boyce has it out for me. Um, I'm sure I'm not his favorite person in the world, but I don't think that he would. Um, I, I don't think that he would go as far as to ban me from the courtroom without a good reason. So. Right. If he's yeah. a decent judge, he won't do that. Uh, Dina writes, hearing the trial live educates the public. In my opinion, a live broadcast is imperative to protect justice if the judge and lawyers are inexperienced, can they remove themselves in the name of justice? 
I'm sure they could. Could the Lord is going to drag on until Jesus comes back, y'all? If we don't get these trials going, <laughs> yeah, we're going to hear the trumpets. <laughs> I uh, I buried the lead uh, with this question. I should have led with this as my dog starts to bark in the very <laughs> far distant background. But um, Gigi, to you, I mean, why did you do fifty six episodes? What got you so interested in this um, that you that you basically uh, did uh, that amount of shows on this one trial? Well, this podcast started the day they found the kids' bodies. I started it with my best friend of 30 years. She's moved on to do work with domestic violence victims, giving them a safe place to be with their children. So I took over last June, and we had started the the mega series together. But it's a place because there's so much interest. But it's really hard when you're watching documentaries to piece all the timeline together. So what I did was I took body cam footage. I took police reports and put it in a long timeline that flows so that when you're reading one document and then you go back and read another, you're time traveling. So I really wanted to do something that was just laid out in chronological order that gave the full story from the day they were born up until where we are now. I still got to finish those last few. They're all court hearings, what I have left, but it's so convoluted. There's so many players. There's so many backstories that play into why we are where we are. And to be honest, all my kids were in school and I was bored. So I was like, what do I do? I got a podcast. So let's just do like, you know, 50 something episodes on Lori. And a lot of people really liked it. But this crash course is just going to condense all that into five episodes because people can't listen to 50 something. But this way, you know, um, if you ever listen to the to the crash course and say, I want to learn more about that, there's an episode for it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy to sit. For me, this is one of those cases I've followed since December of 2019. Every time I kind of get like a summary of it, it blows my mind every time how big this case is and how convoluted and how crazy and ultimately how sad that they didn't just say, hey, look, JJ, your grandparents would gladly take you. They would have taken Tylee. Tylee had Colby. Tylee was almost an adult. Divorce your spouses, go off and find your little camps and stock your food and like wait on the second coming or whatever it is. Nobody had to die. That's why I think in their minds, like there is that evil sense of instead of saying, hey, because here's the thing. Lori Lydon said JJ was with Melanie Gibb knowing full well he was in Chad's backyard. So things like that intrigued me. Why lie? Why are you lying? How do you think this compares in in scope and appetite uh, from the public compared to Alec Murdoch? You think this will be just as big or maybe not because cameras are not allowed? Even if cameras are not allowed, there are enough of us bringing this trial to people in our own platforms, in our own ways. It is a collaboration, I think, among all the media. There's not, there shouldn't be competition in true crime. It's a collaboration. If it's a competition, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. So I think between everybody there, I'll be there two weeks at a time, home a week, there two weeks, home. So that I I really do think it's going to be as big as Murdoch. It's easier when it's streaming, but here's the thing. People don't have time to sit and watch live streams, you know? So that's where people like Lori, me, you, Nate Eaton come in. We summarize it and we tell you what happened. We just got to have access to the daggum audio. That's not 6,000 bucks for 10 weeks or however long it goes. So and, I do think it's going to be Judge as Newt, 
Yeah, Judge Newman, Clifton Newman from the Alec Murdoch trial, he was a master at moving things along. I mean, jury selection was That's so great. quick. Um, I guess we should not expect that, good Lori, in this uh, in this trial. How long do you think this trial could last? Uh, I would not be surprised if it goes six to eight weeks. Yeah, that's that's about yeah. what I'm thinking, six to eight weeks. Yeah, and, and Alec Murdoch was about a day shy of six weeks. Um, flashback writes, question, what's to prevent Judge Boyce from further locking down some trial sessions, shutting down audio, imposing gag orders? Probably nothing, right, Lori, if you I wanted to? That. Yeah. Um, well, the trial will be public. Um, I he, He's kind of notorious for taking things in chambers and, and doing things in secret. Um, but I think it's going to be more difficult when he's actually conducting a full trial for him to be able to do that. Um, but it, it may still happen. Yeah. I don't put anything past anything in this trial. Uh, um, Pamela Foley writes, it's harder for me as a mother to watch this trial for a mother to kill her children is unconscionable hard to wrap my head around a mother doing that i understand it happens but wow and i mean that's what i said about alec murdoch i have a son how could any father kill their son um but that's um lori to you i mean that's a big factor in terms of the interest in this it's just the uh disbelief that a mother could kill her own child right i think that people who are interested in true crime i know it was that way for me when I first learned of this case. Um, I, I think part of the interest is trying to wrap your head around why. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that a lot of people were maybe not so satisfied with with the why that came out of, of Alec Murdoch's case. And, uh, you know, I think that, that people are interested in this case because of the why part. Um, it, it, is it because of their religious beliefs? Is it because of their, uh, their them wanting to be together and Lori saying, I can't get divorced again? I, I don't think we haven't seen all the evidence and I don't think we know yet. I don't know if we'll ever know, but I hope so. And uh, by the way, if you haven't hit that little like button, it's so easy to do. Just click that like button. It'll help us out. Rich Buddy writes, this case is like the Casey Anthony case. Parents wanted to party. The zombie story is just a muse. Uh, followed here. I love this one from Dawn. Joel, I'd love to hear what Carm has to say about what makes Lori tick. Carm is not only a Holocaust survivor uh, and has seen a lot of crazy in her life, but she's also a licensed therapist. We will get her on for sure to discuss this. And uh, Carm pulls no punches, as you all know. So I would like to get her take on it as well. I told her to watch the Netflix documentary and she says she's trying to have good thoughts in her later years. Why am I pushing that on her and proceeded to yell at me? So, but then that means she'll usually go and watch it. Um, good Lori. Again, probably should have been the first question. It's among the last questions. We'll wrap it in a few, but, um, how do you get so interested? I mean, you were, uh, you were rolling in the dough criminal defense attorney, <laughs> High stakes player, you and Mark Aragos. You, I uh, know, I was a public defender, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I embellish a little bit. But anyway, you get my point. Um, what got you so interested and uh, took you onto this path? 
Well, I retired from practice and moved from Oregon to the Phoenix area in, in suburban Phoenix and started hearing about the case because it was all over the news because of Charles Vallow's death. And um, one of the local reporters there was sort of connecting the dots and saying, this is really weird because, you know, we had this person who claimed to have shot his brother-in-law in self-defense and then he dies and the, the wife disappears with the children and it, it just got more and more convoluted. And so I got interested when the children were missing and um, like Gigi, I I noticed when Lori was brought back from Hawaii and there were lots of legal questions about extradition and bond and all of those things um, in a couple of the Facebook groups, I, I would answer a question, but I would always have to preface it by saying, here's all my, my bona fides. Here's all the reasons why I know what I'm talking about. So I, thought I'll just start this newsletter and and talk about the legal issues in the case. And that's how it all started. And like Gigi, I started the week that the children's bodies were found. Yeah. And, and a it, big shout out to Nate Eaton and Justin Lum, because those two have been right. on this case from day one, asking the hard questions, sometimes not getting the answers, but those two guys right there, they're my heroes because I'm not a journalist, but man, if I were, I want to be like them. Is Justin with East Idaho News also? He's with Fox Tim Phoenix. Okay. So, and it's Justin Long? Justin Lum, L-U-M. Okay. Oh, yeah. I know Justin. He was featured on the dock. Yes. Yes, okay. he was. I was watching that and I was like, well, look at what we have here. Oh, well right, deserved, so right? Shout out to Justin Lum and Nate Eaton. And yep. doing, good, doing good work. Uh, May writes... It surprises me that normal-looking people could do such horrible acts. Good reminder that evil doesn't always have horns. You definitely cannot judge a book by its cover. Followed here by Jenny Meow Meow. Lori's first two husbands must be thanking their lucky stars that they managed to escape from her relatively unscathed, considering all the murder that started with Joe Ryan. So, Lori, there were... Chad was the fifth husband, fourth husband, dead. What do we know about the rest of the husbands? So Joe Ryan was was uh, husband number three. He was Tylee's father. Um, Gigi, jump in if you if you want to. Um, Joe and Lori had a very highly contested, conflicted, hostile divorce and a custody battle that lasted from the time Tylee was about three until she died, basically, well, until Joe Ryan died. And um, throughout it all, he was pretty faithful in trying to see her and trying to have a relationship with her. And Lori did a lot to try and obstruct that. Um, what we know is that he moved to Arizona to be closer to Tylee and to be able to see her, we know that um, he was found dead in his apartment. The medical examiner ruled that it was a, he died of natural causes. Uh, I've always felt that if he, if they didn't actively murder him, they, they drove him into the ground and he died of, um, he was abusing alcohol and 
had a, a lot of health problems. So yeah. And a lot of that started when Lori's brother, Alex tased him in the parking lot of the kid exchange where you exchange kids in a peaceful manner. Right. He broke his wrist, hurt his back. And then when he moved to Arizona, I believe, was it, I don't know if it was Texas or Arizona, but you know, then Charles and Lori and JJ and Tyler moved to Hawaii. Right. And then eventually he was, he was freed from his child support obligation. I don't know how much Tylee got to see him, but at one point Joe was given full custody of Tylee and Lori was held in contempt. Nothing ever happened. I mean, it's just, it, it, it is sad what happened. Why, and a lot of people Lori's, gave I'm sorry, go ahead. No, why was Lori's, sorry to interrupt. Why was Lori's brother so easily manipulated? Look, there's questions about what lines were crossed between those two as brother and sister. And let's just say we won't go there because I, I actually want to hold down the coffee I just drank. Mm. But he had an, a, a very weird Velcro status to her. He was Velcroed to her. They called him the family hitman. He did all of her dirty deeds. He tased Joe Ryan. In fact, if you look at the crime scene photos or the photos of when Joe's body was discovered, he had deadbolt after deadbolt. He was afraid. And then, you know, after the tasing incident, wanted to be sure, had cops go to his house to make sure nobody was waiting on him. He called it. At one point, he said, she does not want me to see Tylee so bad. I'm afraid one day she will kill herself and Tylee. And he called it years ago. He knew at some point it was a risk Tylee would be murdered at her mother's hands for spite. And even though it didn't relate to him, it's still, you know, Tylee, from what we've heard, had a wall up, understandably being used as a pawn, being raised by that woman. But Tylee never had a chance to become the woman she could have been. And that's what's the saddest thing for me and JJ. He was a very high-functioning autistic kid who, ha who had so much love to give. And they didn't care. For whatever reason, and I still can't nail it down, was it religious? Was it just convenience? I don't know. But at the end of the day, for me, mental illness is a very real thing. She hit it all. She knew what she was doing. I hope she goes down in flames. Sorry. Mm. And I try not to be super opinionated, but this case, I'm telling y'all, it, it was born out of COVID boredom because I binged everything on Netflix by that <laughs> point that I was going to binge. And I was like, whoa, this case is crazy. I'm jumping back into true crime. And uh, I try not to be opinionated, but these two are as guilty as sin from what I see just right now without even seeing the big stuff. So, and, and P Willie writes here, and this could be an Alec Murdoch comment right here, either one, but it's related to Lori Vallow. Full blown narcissist will always discard people they uh, have no longer any use for, uh, are in the way, or may rip off their narcissistic mask. By the way, I'll give you a heads up. Carm doesn't like the word narcissist, she thinks it's uh, overused and a bit cliche. So, we will get her on. Uh, Priola writes, Love us some Carm. Followed by this comment, this is no guarantee. Joel, you will have to let Carm talk if she partakes in a bad Lori discussion. <laughs> Mom always likes to take the limelight. She sucks it away from me. That's I'll, all right. I'll She's due. I'll let her. She put up with you all these years, all right? She sure did. Julie Frew writes, love your mum, Joel, and how she puts you in your place, saying you're not the black sheep of the family. Ha, ha, ha. I do have my black sheep shirt. I'll pull it out for this <laughs> trial. But the woman in the glasses is one of the people closest to this show and one of my personal favorites, Gigi McKelvey. She is host of the popular true crime podcast, Pretty Lies and Alibis. She's putting together a primer 
on uh, the entire Lori Vallow Daybell story. So you have to turn to her for that. And she's also going to be out in Boise covering this case once again, uh, as she did for Alec Murdoch for Law and Crime. Gigi, what's next uh, in this saga? Well, I think now we just wait for openings, and I think they're going to come out punching. I think we're going to hear some really painful, nasty stuff to make an impression on that jury. I think we might see some pictures that will stick with all of us for the rest of our life. But look, they got one shot with her. And they're not going to hold back. So what's next? Hopefully justice. The long road to justice. Kind of like we're making the exit now. We're getting off the exit. We're getting there. And I love to see it. We are getting there uh, slowly but surely. Uh, Lori Hellis joins us for the first time, but hopefully not the last. Hopefully there will be many returns. Uh, she is an author and a retired criminal defense attorney who has a blog, and she's currently writing a book about the Lori Vallow Daybell case. Real quick, you also wrote a book about divorce, right? What was the title of that book? Called The No-Nonsense Guide to Divorce. No-Nonsense Guide to Divorce. Hopefully, I will, not, I will not need that. There was a couple of moments in my day-to-day -day where I thought, in my day-to-day -day where I thought, hmm, maybe I should order that book, but everything was resolved. All is well on the West. <laughs> Put it in your cart for later, though, just in case, right? Keep that in the Amazon cart. Um, by the way, I don't know what this is, but Casey Boston, Joel, you have to get Annie on the show. Annie was Lori's sister-in-law, Joe's sister, and she's incredibly knowledgeable about data and the entire case. Tylee was her niece. Steve Cohen, if you're listening, book Annie. Steve Cohen is my partner in crime. But um, Lori. Her name is uh, Annie Cushing. Yes. Annie Cushing. Annie Cushing. <laughs> okay, we will get her. Uh, Annie Cushing. And um, Lori. Please tell everyone at STS Nation, um, our global audience, uh, the newsletter is the LoriVallowStory.com. Is that right? Correct. It's free and there is an archive so you can read all the back episodes. And uh, the book, are you able to reveal the title? The book will be called Children of Darkness and Light. And, and, uh, that, is all, and that is also the name of my YouTube channel. And you're on YouTube how often? I'm on YouTube Friday nights when we talk all things Vallow. And then I'm on Wednesday nights for an hour when we uh, talk about other true crime cases, including Murdoch and uh, uh, lots of other cases. And I will have to put that into my playlist and subscribe immediately. Um, Lori, what are you looking for next in this whole saga? I'm looking forward to finally being able to see the roadmap, the case, how the case has come together. I'm I'm always fascinated in in the way that a lawyer puts a case together and and all the puzzle pieces. So I'm looking forward to that part of it. Um, but I'm I'm definitely looking forward to. Um, being able to finish what I've started because I have a book in the works. So <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to being able to wrap that up. Yep. I hear you. Patty G final comment. Joel was 75% nice to Carm last night. She was on I'll tell you Sunday night's a hard night for me and my mom. Cause it's uh, the end of a long week I was dragging my kids around. I try to be good, but um, speaking of uh, our programs, quick programming notes tomorrow night, 7 PM Eastern time, 
Dennis Murphy from Dateline, the one and only Dateline, will be here along with Ruth Markell to talk about the Dan Markell murder case and why they decided to do not one but two two-hour episodes about the Dan Markell murder on uh, Dateline. So he is here tomorrow evening and then Friday, every Friday, it is your true crime Phil with Detective Phil Waters of the Houston PD. And then Sunday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, the cardboard cutout comes to life as we do another episode of Surviving the Survivor, this one still to be determined. But for now, love you, America. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.